Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about the Upper Room, please visit newroom.org. We're talking about um, unity. And I want to just go with um, this theme that you guys have heard for the last couple weeks with women. And so who was here last week when Freeland shared? I mean, if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to it. It's so good. It's so good. I've listened to it like three times <laughs> just to be encouraged of like, no, God is doing something in us, with us, together. And that's what I want us to talk about tonight, the unity that we have Male and female, he created them. In his image, male and female. Okay? Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And men, you sharpen women. And women, you sharpen men. The image of God, the characteristics of God, the heart of God that he's put inside of the opposite sex is to us to know more about his heart, his character, together. Other passages or other versions of the sharpening say we sharpen countenance, the countenance of someone, the character, and the wits of one another. The countenance, the character, and the wits of one another. So, like, think about a knife, like, or an axe, if you're, like, chopping wood, or a knife that's chopping vegetables or slicing a steak. If that knife is dull, it's dangerous. If that knife is dull, it's difficult to use. It's sloppy. It's ineffective. And we, without one another, are dull or ineffective Sloppy, difficult. We're meant to sharpen one another. So I want the iron in me <laughs> to come out tonight. I need the iron in you to come out tonight. We need to sharpen one another and apply ourselves to one another. I want to I want to just us to have this picture of practice versus position. So often we can be in a position somewhere, somehow, and not actually be in the practice of it. So like Larissa said, I used to testify, and I could sit, at sit in the box and look at 12 jurors, and they have somebody's future in their hands, in their decision. And they're in a position of authority and power, and sometimes these jurors are nodding off, like falling asleep, like bored. And I'd be, ah, wake up! <laughs> so I just want, think sometimes we have this, this, this mentality that if I'm here, then I'm going to bear the fruit of it. If I'm positionally in church, then I should be bearing fruit, right? But we can be here and not applying ourselves to here. Not applying ourselves to absorb what's being said or what this word says. Positionally, we could be in that position, that posture, and miss out on the fruit that comes from the practice of it that requires work. Like, I know some people think different things about yoga. I practice yoga. If you think I'm weird, then that's fine. But think of working out or what you do for working out. So if I were to go to a class and sit in Shavasana the whole time, which is like being still, or you were to go to CrossFit and just, you know, I'm just going to stretch and I'm not going to do what the instructor says, we're not bearing the fruit 
of what that instructor says. And you guys have some of the most gifted, phenomenal teachers here. And if we don't apply ourselves to what they're saying, we're not going to bear the fruit. Like, come in here hungry. Come in here humble. Come in here and say, God, teach me, correct me, refine me, reveal something new to me. Give me a word to hold on to. Give me something to be activated in. Not just the position, but the practice. We are not fully living in our purpose if we're not practicing the sharpening of one another. We're missing out. We're delaying the fullness of our calling. If I'm not sharpening you, you're not sharpening me, I'd be like a dull knife. I would not be as effective. The Bible's full of this. It says in Genesis that it's good that man's not alone. It says in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, we're members, we're all members of one body. 1 Peter 2 says we're all living stones built into a spiritual temple, a holy priesthood. Living stones. I'm a living stone, you're a living stone, he's a living stone, she's a living stone, and we're meant to build unto this temple. And if I'm a stone over here by myself just being a stone and I'm not building myself with you in life and community, then I'm not reaching up to what he has for us. I'm not, we're not, I'm not applying myself to what he has for us, the fullness of what he has for us. Um, Ecclesiastes says two are better than one. Joshua and Deuteronomy says one can put a thousand to fight and two can put ten thousand. Like, Community together was his idea. (laughs) Friendship was his idea. Marriage was his idea. Having kids was his idea. Adoption was his idea. Discipleship was his idea. Being a church together was his idea. Like we are meant to be together. And I'm an introvert. I like to be alone. And (laughs) I am alone often, and I think that's great, but I'm missing out if I were to always have my quiet time by myself, always pray by myself, always fast by myself, always worship by myself. I'm missing out on being accelerated and growing exponentially if I'm not practicing those things with uh, with you, with with one another. Like, I have, I've been a believer since I was seven, so 28 years I've been reading this book and this last couple months, I've been reading this book with other women. And every day we read the same passage for a week, the same chapter for a week in different versions. And we're reading multiple ways. And ev- everyone's getting something different. And I'm growing more in the word in the last two months than I have in a couple years because I'm sh- being sharpened by these other women. Or I have... Um, Another group of friends in Denver, um, we call ourselves the fast friends, not to be mistaken with fast women, just fast friends, Um, but we fast together, and we fast different things together, and it is making fasting so much more enjoyable. I don't really like fasting, but it's making fasting so much more enjoyable to be doing it and partnering with, with someone else, and someone's advocating for me in that place or interceding for me in that place. Y'all hear what I'm saying? (laughs) We are growing more together. Um, But that godly or that that godly perspective is that we would be sharper. That's like from heaven. That's like God said that. 
But our earthly perspective is, I don't necessarily want to walk things out with you because you're really messy or you have these issues, right? And we do. We have messes and we have issues. And if I were to have that fleshly perspective of, golly, you're really, like, needy or your depression's really driving me crazy or fill in the blank, I'm going to miss out on being sharpened by you and you're going to miss out on being sharpened by me. And we have to um, submit ourselves to one another in that place of messiness and honor one another in their process. We're all in process, which means we're all messy. But if I can honor you in that place, and you can honor me in that place, we're going to grow exponentially. Um, I think it's Philippians 4.14. This is Paul talking to the Philippian church. It says, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. He's talking to the whole church. You've done well to share with me in my affliction. Paul wasn't just by himself in his affliction. This whole church was with him in it. How phenomenal. If we could come in here afflicted, struggling, tormented, and we weren't by ourselves. And if you think that that makes you like, oh, nobody wants to be around that. You're missing out on your freedom. You're missing out on you being sharpened. You're missing out on being healed. And they're missing out on an opportunity to be the body of Christ to you. Um, Justin is one of the worship leaders up in, in Denver, and we have Alyssa Smith living with us. So Alyssa's from here. She's um, Aaron Smith's sister, and, you know, this is how I fight my battles. That's her. <laughs> Y'all have seen that. But she's been living with us, and Justin has had these songs in him. He, like, gets these songs in the prayer sets, or he gets these little things, ditties, and he'll record voice memos, and he probably has 60 voice memos. And he hasn't written a full song in a long time. But having Alyssa's gifting in our home and Justin applying her, himself and being open, honoring that gift in her, being open to being instructed and molded and encouraged and exhorted. Justin's written like three songs since she's moved in with us. And I'm just like, oh, Lord, that's the beauty of us being together, that we're going to cultivate the kingdom, that our gifts are going to be flourishing more together. Um, yesterday we met as a missions team. So if you don't know, Upper Room has a missions team. And we're, two of us from Denver and five here from Dallas got together. And we all had different ideas. And all of us have had these ideas for a couple months. But brought together, like, whoo, mission statement came out. And core values came out. And planning came out. And finances came forth. And we were just like, this is so much better and richer together. It's so much better and richer together. And there could be that tension, that conflict of coming closer into the issues, coming closer into the affliction of partnering with someone or, or being with somebody in that moment or in that mess. But that tension and that conflict actually makes us more beautiful, more fruitful. Um, Jonathan and Melissa Helzer had a talk on marriage and ministry, and, and they were um, their worship leaders. 
and they were talking about how there's tension in their relationship and there's conflict in their relationship. And yet, if there's not conflict or pressure or tension, there's not music. Like, it requires, music requires pressure and tension. Like, pressure on an instrument, tension on some strings. Like, you can't make music without pressure and tension. We're not going to make music together without the pressure and the tension that comes from being in relationship with one another. Um, John 17 says, I think it starts in verse 20. Let me look. John 17 is called the high priestly prayer, and this is where Jesus is about to go to the cross, and he's praying to the Father. And um, it says, starting in verse... Let's start in verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. What makes the world know? What does it say? What makes the world know that, that Jesus came and that the Father loved the Son? Unity. I in you, you in me, him in us, us in one another. Like, it's evangelistic. It's powerful. Our unity is powerful. Like, we can go out on the streets and we can pray for healing and we can get prophetic words and we can do all this awesome stuff, but if I'm not at home united with my husband, like if I'm not in unity with friendships and unity with our, our ministry team, like I'm missing what the gospel is. Like I can't go out and share the gospel and lead people to the Lord if I'm not living in unity with you, with us. It preaches the gospel. That's his goal, our unity, and we will thwart his goal and our good every time we're divided. And I, I feel this so strongly, like, especially in marriage. Like, if we're slandering our husbands, if we're, not, if we're dishonoring and talking dishonoringly about our wives, if we're um, cursing, name-calling, saying whatever... I'm destroying myself because I'm one flesh with him. I'm destroying myself if I'm just using my words to destroy him. And that's the same thing that we do in the church. Like if we're just, just talking poorly about another denomination, like we're meant to be one body, one bride, one body, one bride. That's the Catholics and the Protestants. That's the Episcopalians and the Arminianists and the Calvinists. That's all of us. And if we think that there's a hierarchy, like, well, we have the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that, there's not a hierarchy in the Trinity. Freeland said that last week. It's, there's not a hierarchy in the Trinity and there's not a hierarchy in the denominations. All right? We're one body. And if I speak poorly about another denomination, I'm destroying myself. There's a, 
podcast that, um, that I've heard about. I'm not going to say the name of it because I don't want y'all to listen to it. But it is, uh, it's post-church Christians that have left the church and are super cynical and um, talk poorly about the church. And I'm just like, oh, my heart is so grieved in that place. But you know what? If I get angry and start judging them, do y'all see the sin in my life? That's exactly what they're doing. They're angry. And they're talking poorly about somebody else. They're talking poorly about the church. So if I'm the church talking poorly about the post-church people, it's just like a cycle of ick. I felt this so strongly with um, when Charlottesville happened. And I was like in this swirl of negative emotions, of like embarrassment, um, of our political leaders, shame in my race, like all these feelings that were so heavy and negative. And, and I just was like trying not to get so mad and so disappointed and judging. And the Lord put his finger on this verse in Philippians. Um, I think it's Philippians 2. Nope, 1. Philippians 1. Verse, starting in verse 9, it says, And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. How am I filled with the fruit of righteousness? How does God get glory and praise? Go back to the first verse. It's through our love abounding more and more. And he just was like, you cannot, you cannot judge. You cannot judge. You cannot cast a stone. You cannot get angry. You can't, you've got to love, 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 love. The word says, love covers a multitude of sin. So could his love abound in me so much more and more that it could cover the sin of Charlottesville? Could my love, could our love cover sin, cancel sin? Lord, would you let your love abound so much? Verse 11. Verse 11. (laughs) That Jesus Christ, that he would get glory, that God would get glory, that people would praise. The Amplified Version says, don't go to the Amplified Version, but I'll just tell you what it says. It says, living lives, we could live lives that lead others away from sin. If our love abounds so much, we could lead lives that lead others away from sin. How good is that? Jesus, give us that love. Ecclesiastes 4, starting in verse 9, it says, Two people are better off than one, for they help each other succeed. I'm going to go with that version that you've got. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. 
Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and threefold cord is not quickly broken. This verse is saying that we will fall. We will have trouble. It's saying we will be attacked. But how much more can we withstand and conquer together? Like two are better than one. Three is even better. More is better. Like we're an army rising up, right? We have this power, more power together than I do by myself. And we live in an individualistic society. Like we want our way, do our thing on our time. And that's not what's in the Bible. He laid his life down for, for others. He laid his life down for others. And when you guys gave your life to Jesus, you gave your life for others. Like, I'm giving you my life, Jesus. And he's like, good, because it's for others. We think so much that my life is him, and I'm a laid-out lover, and I just want to be a laid-out lover, which isn't a bad thing. But get up and love somebody, okay? Um, Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14, it says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he will grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. With all the saints. Say, with all the saints. We are going to comprehend more together with all the saints, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, to be filled with the fullness of God, not by myself, but with all the saints. We're more powerful together. We grasp and know his love more together. We're filled with him by being together and we experience the fullness of God together. I feel like we so often like to be around people that are like us and that think the way we think, act the way we act, or do what we would do in a certain situation and we're so often around the people that are like us. And we are missing out by not being and loving those that are different than us. When, um, when Justin and I met, he had had a panic um, disorder for eight years. And uh, crazy, he'd seen like top psychiatrists and psychologists and anxiety specialists here in Dallas. He was on all kinds of meds and having quite regular panic attacks and was messy, was messy. 
And it was hard to be around that because I have peace all the time. No, I don't. Um, but it was just hard. It was messy. But his trajectory, like his intention to be free, I'm going to be free. He's going to set me free. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. His hunger. He wasn't dependent. Like, these meds are going to save me. This counselor is going to save me. Like, I know God will set me free. And his trajectory was so attractive. Like, he's so hungry. He's so desperate for the Lord. And that's what I want to follow. And I just want to encourage us. Like, I know there's a lot of young people in here. There's probably a lot of singles in here. Like, we don't need to date someone just like us. We don't need to date. We can't date someone who has it all together. Nobody has it all together. But what's their trajectory? Where are they going? What is their, who, where's their focus? Are their eyes set on Jesus? Are they looking to him for their perfection? Are they looking to him to be free? Like, partner with somebody in their mess. It's okay. It's going to make you more holy. <laughs> it's going to make you more free. I looked at how messy he was, and I was like, if it's that messy, then I'm going to be real holy. <laughs> no. Just kidding. I was messy, too. Um, I think it's so important, though, to view ourselves on the battlefield together. We're on the battlefield together. We're not on the battlefield against each other. We're not on the battlefield against each other. If someone thinks differently than us, if someone believes differently than us, I'm not against them. I'm with them. Let's look. Can we rally around Jesus? Like, you might think something differently about tongues. You might think something differently about yoga. You might think something differently than I do. I don't care. Can we rally around Jesus? Like, that's what we're going to agree on. Let's go after him together in all of our differences. I love this leadership at this church. I love the leadership at this church. They don't agree doctrinally on everything. And I love that. Because they honor one another. They honor one another. I'm going to honor that that's your revelation. And I'm going to be open to that, my revelation being changed. And just continually humbling and honoring one another. Um, Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, says... Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness. Our battle is not against each other. It's not Republicans against Democrats. Thank God. It's not the charismatic against the evangelicals. It's not men against women and women against men. It's not women against men. Like, I am 
a feminist, but I am a man-loving feminist. What's that Beyonce song? <laughs> Who ruled the world? <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> We're going to rule the world together. I'm going to rule the world following a man, and a man's going to rule the world. We're going to rule together following one another, honoring one another, submitting to one another. That's how we're going to rule. 1 John 2, starting in verse 9. I love this verse. This is so good. 1 John 2, starting in verse 9, says, Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him, there's no cause for stumbling. Stop there for just a second. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling. The light that's in me gets brighter with the light that's in you. And the more light that we have, I can see what's around me. I can see if there's sin. I can see if there's temptation. I can see if there's a, a, a lure to, to accuse the brethren. I can see if there's, if there's a way that I could stumble. But if I'm in the light and you're in the light and our light is illuminating this, we have no cause to stumble. Like no cause to stumble. If we're in the light, as he's in the light, we're having fellowship with one another. And that happens, that light happens with the love. Whoever loves abides in the light. Next verse. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Like this light and this love is directional. If you don't know what to do with your life, if you don't know where to go, you don't know what job to get, you don't know where to go to school, like freaking get with some light. Start loving one another. Be open to submitting to counsel. Honor, humble yourself and honor what's on and in somebody else. Because that's going to be directional. Romans 12.10 says, outdo one another in showing honor. Like practically like, I want men to be men. I want to honor their manness, their masculinity, the way that God made them, the way that God made them, not what a woman wants them to be or a woman wants them to act. I want to honor the way that a man is a man and the differences that are really different than mine. Like, I'm different this way, he's different that way, but we are better together, and I'm going to honor that. I'm not going to expect someone to look like me. And I'm not expecting you guys to be something else. He, God doesn't expect us to be something else. He's like, I created you a man to be a man. I created you a woman to be a woman. And we have so much women. We've so much cursed our femininity. We've cursed 
what makes us different. It would be so much easier if we were a man. I'd make a better job. I could ask out whoever I wanted to. I wouldn't be single so long. If I was a man this, if I was a man that, and we've cursed our femininity. <laughs> and yet that's what God is celebrating. He's celebrating how he made us and all of its differences. Um, when, I was, when I was thinking about this position versus practice, I was like, I don't always feel like that. I don't always feel like honoring Justin. <laughs> I don't always feel like celebrating his differences. I don't always feel like that. <laughs> and I'm not saying that we're supposed to always feel that way but I want to be renewed in my mind. We are such a feelings-centric culture. We're, we're so governed by our feelings. We so let our feelings direct us because it's what's in my heart. I feel this way. And we can't be ruled by our feelings. Our feelings need to be sanctified. They don't need to be validated. They need to be sanctified. And you know what makes us new? Where do we get renewed? In our minds, in our thoughts. That's how we become new. And our minds and the spirit, they need to tell us, tell our feelings where to go. I, uh, when I asked the Lord like, how to prepare for this um, coming here tonight, and he said... Um, he wanted me to listen to Freeland's message, so I thought I'd do that real well, and I listened to it three times, and I was like, check. And then he also <laughs> said to watch the Iron Lady, which I was like, I don't even know where that came from, so it definitely had to be the Lord. But the Iron Lady, who's seen it? And um, not many of you guys, so I'm going <laughs> to tell you what it's about. Um, but Margaret Thatcher was um, Prime Minister of Britain, or of England, and the first female Prime Minister, and she she encountered so much pushback, so much sexism, so much oppression against her gender, so much. And, um, and she, there was a scene where the, she's getting this counsel from her counsel, and, um, and they were just trying to get her to back off. Like, oh, let's appease the people a little more. Let's appease the people a little more. And... Um, and she just stuck to her guns, and I didn't get to finish it, but I did get this quote out of it. Um, she says, one of our, the great problems of our age is that we're governed by our feelings rather than our thoughts and our ideas. One of the great problems of our age is that we are governed by our feelings rather than our thoughts and our ideas. So she says, watch your thoughts for they become your words. Watch your words, for they become your actions. Watch your actions, for they become habits. Watch your habits, for they become your character. And watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. One of the great problems of our age is that we're governed by our feelings rather than our beliefs and what this says. Like what this says. This is, this is directional. 
This tells us where to go. This tells us what to do. He writes his word on our hearts. His word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. And if we're not applying ourselves to this, we're missing out on a lot of good fruit. There's a practice of making this a practice. It's not just in my house or I'm playing the prayer room or I'm I'm um, positionally in church. There's a practice that's requiring work, that it's I'm doing what this says, I'm reading what this says, I'm being transformed by what this says, I'm, I'm submitting my life to what this says. Um, reminds me of like online dating. <laughs> not that the Bible reminds me of online dating, and not that I'm on online dating, but... <laughs> I'm, I'm not on online dating, but I know people who are. And there's so many people who say they're Christians and they're not disciples. Like there's a difference between a believer, oh yeah, I believe in God, oh yeah, I go to church. But are they a disciple? Do they follow his way? Do they do what he did? Do they say what he said? Do they live their lives following him? Like, it's not enough to be a believer. Like, I want us to be disciples that look like our rabbi. We're following this teacher. I'm imitating him. So don't just date anybody online that says they're a Christian. <laughs> if you get nothing else out of tonight, that's it. No. Um, I, uh, I want us to read, I, wanna, I told you I read lots of different versions so I can get different things, but I wanted to read the message and go back to Philippians 1, um, starting in verse 9, but in the message version. Can you see that? There's a lot up there. It says, so this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you'll not only love much, but well. You'll learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental gush. Live a, li a lover's life, circumspect, exemplary, a life Jesus would be proud of. Bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. Getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. So like I could be glorifying and praising God by myself, but if I'm missing out on loving appropriately, wisely, using my head, intelligent, sincere love, like I'm not expanding the kingdom his kingdom goes forth in the way that we love and honor one another men the way you love and honor women women the way you love and honor men we honor the lord in our unity we sharpen one another we're more vibrant we're more effective we're more useful together it's evangelistic. It gets everyone involved in the praise and glory of God, the way that we love and honor one another. 
Um, I'm going to ask the band or whoever plays an instrument to come up. Not whoever plays an instrument, but the band. <laughs> I know there's a lot of people who play instruments. But um, do you guys get me with that position versus practice? And I don't want us to miss, like, the practice, the opportunity to practice. Like, we can agree. I know. I just, I know. There's men in here who have heard Michael share. They've heard Larissa share. And they say, yeah, I agree with that. And nothing is changing in their marriage. Or men who are in positions of influence and, and businessmen or CEOs who are not promoting women, giving raises to women, honoring the women. The church so often puts women in children's ministry or cook the potluck or feed us or take care of our kids. And, and it's oppressing them from operating fully in their gifts. Like, I'm not here tonight because the men aren't. I'm not here tonight because they're out of town. I'm here tonight because the men, the male leaders that you have here at this church, honor and celebrate the gift that's in me. They are fanning that flame. And they want to fan the flame in you women. I'm going to ask if um, Truman will come up and BL and Phil. And if there's other male elders here that I don't know about, I don't know. Um, these men, <laughs> when they're around, when they're here, I'm not like, oh, yay, they're in charge. When, when I'm around these men, it's, oh, yay, they're fanning the flame in me. These men want to see me operate in my fullness. These men want to fan the flame in women. And these men are safe men. And women, we have, our femininity has been twisted in places. It's been perverted in places. It's been abused. And we've cursed our femininity. And I want our femininity to be restored, made whole, full. And that's not going to happen with raw-wah women, us by ourselves, with one another, and not with men. The fullness of our calling and us being the feminine, beautiful, awesome women that we are is with these men, with these men. 
It's in friendship. It's in work. It's with who you're dating. It's in marriage. It's let us partner with one another to reach the fullness of God, to know God more, and to share his kingdom with those that are around us. So I'm going to, if your wives are here, I'm going to ask your wives to come up too. But if you're a woman who has cursed your femininity, I want you to come and be blessed by these men and women. And if you're a man in here who has perverted, twisted, abused, not celebrated, not honored men, Today is the day. Today is the day. Forgetting all that entangles, any sin that is hindered, leaving behind what has happened, what you have done, what you have said, and saying, I'm setting my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, and he's going to come and author a new story about women for you. And he's going to come and perfect it in his love. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information about the Upper Room, please visit Europe.org.